We live in a constantly connected world, yet people have never been more disconnected. You are watching Bullyproof, where we shine a spotlight on workplace bullying, today's silent epidemic. Did you know that 75% of workers will either be a target, witness bullying, or both? I am Marilise de Villiers-Basson. I'm the founder and CEO of Roar Coaching and Consulting. I'm a mindset and performance coach, the best-selling author of Roar, How to Tame the Bully Inside and Out, and I'm also a people and change consultant specializing in cybersecurity awareness, culture, and talent. And in today's episode, we have a cybersecurity special for you because we're going to look at toxic cultures in cybersecurity. Why is it such a big problem today in cybersecurity and tech functions in particular? And I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by Jinan Badge. Principal Research Analyst at Forrester. We live in a constantly connected world, yet people have never felt more disconnected. You're listening to Bullyproof, a podcast to shine a spotlight on workplace bullying, today's silent epidemic. Research indicates that 75% of workers will either be a target, witness bullying, or both. Each episode will explore how targets can bullyproof themselves and how leaders and HR can bullyproof their organizations. It's time to find your roar. Now, here's your host, Marilise de Villiers. Jinan, welcome to Bullyproof. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm so super excited to have this conversation with you today. Um, but before I start, I just want to tell our viewers and listeners um, a little bit more about you and what you do. So Janan Budge is a principal analyst at Forrester. Uh, she leads Forrester's security and risk research in Asia Pacific. Janan's research focuses on enabling the success of the chief information security officer creating transformational cybersecurity strategies and building security awareness, behavior, and culture programs to sit at the heart of security strategy. Jinan is a champion for diversity and inclusion in security and brings a local and global perspective and cultural lens to her research and practice. Welcome, Jinan. I've been looking forward to this for actually two months. I'm so delighted to have you with me. So before we dive into some of the, you know, the, the messy questions related to cybersecurity culture and in particular toxic cultures, um, I'm going to ask you to tell us a little bit more about you. Who, who, who are you, the person what an interesting question to start with. And I love how it's going to get messier. I don't know how much messier it's going to be. Um, you and our listeners uh, will probably be happy or disappointed. I'm not sure to know that the me is pretty much what you've read. <laughs> it's, um, and I say that because I think, um, you know, I try in everything that I do in my work, in my research, in my home to to always be the same person so when you're reading my bio and I'm like and I'm listening to words such as transformation and uh, and diversity and culture these are things that I think are very much at the core of me the core of my purpose um, 
And I'm one of those very fortunate people that wakes up every day and gets paid to do something that's in line with their purpose. Uh, So that's kind of me at the very, very high level. When we dig a little bit deeper, um, I live in Sydney, Australia, as you may be able to tell from the accent, but I also feel like my accent is um, a reflection of somebody who's a citizen of the world in that I was born in Aleppo, Syria. I moved to Australia when I was 13 years old, so had to relearn Well, I had to learn a whole new language. I was uh, in Syria. You might or might not know, but we spoke Arabic as the first language, French as the second language. English was not really on my radar. I think I knew a couple of words, orange, egg and water. Had to come to Australia, learn a whole new language um, and had to very quickly uh, I guess, get, according to my parents, were immigrant doctors, bless them. I had to get good marks to get into university. That was pretty much my mission for my first three or four years, which I was lucky enough to achieve. So I learned English, did really well at school, um, did two university degrees, a commerce degree and a science degree in which I majored in maths and uh, computer science. So you can imagine what an exciting person I am and I was by that and decided at the end of that degree, well, you know, I don't, I can't imagine myself being any of these things. I can't imagine myself being an accountant, cannot imagine myself being a programmer or a mathematician or an actuarial. So of course, then began the journey of what do I do? Stumbled into cybersecurity, did all the things which I'm sure we're going to talk about. But again, my purpose even way back then was the business, the people side of it, which was largely undefined. Like we're talking about, I don't know, 25 years ago, had no idea what that means at the time, but I knew knew it was something to do with people. Um, At a personal level, you know, had, like everybody else, a great time in my 20s, well, like a lot of very privileged people, had a great time in my 20s, travelled the world, met my husband, I think it was in my early 30s. We moved cities, we moved countries, we had a couple of babies, moved countries again back to Australia and it's just been an incredible adventure. It's fantastic hearing you and just listening to that wonderful, wonderful story, that rich experience and the common thread all along, which has been your passion for people and working. As you say, you didn't necessarily know 25 years ago exactly what it what it was going to be, but it sort of evolved over the years. And it's it's so beautiful to kind of invite that um, the unknown into your life and just to go on this adventure. Um, so thank you. Thank you so yes. much for sharing that. With I think us. in many ways I didn't really have a choice in inviting that adventure. I think what's uh, what's really interesting and hopefully what others can take away from this is I was pushed down one path and I didn't really get a choice. It was, you know, the analytical, the technical And I was excellent at it. That was what I was excellent at. I couldn't even speak the language. So what's really interesting is how I then ended up shifting to that space where really all I do all day, every day is talk to people. I speak at conferences. I uh, rarely do anything deeply technical or technological anymore. 
Um, so, you know, very much whereas I had a very strong left side of uh, left side of my brain or whatever people call it these days, it's my strength is now completely different and it's been developed. Incredible. Um, and I think, um, you know, it's so well, listening to you, I think I've got a, such a shared experience, um, followed, followed a very similar path. Um, and also came to England with uh, Afrikaans being my first language and English being my second language and not being very good at English. So having to learn to speak a new language, um, I can really relate relate to that. So I'm going to jump into this amazing piece of research you did and you published um, last year, June last year, which was titled Fix Toxic Security Culture Before It Kills Your Innovation. So how to deal with a toxic security team culture. Now, I just want to, before we start, I want to sort of caveat this to say this is very specific to cybersecurity, but it applies more broadly. So um, this conversation is really um, for any organization who might be experiencing toxic behaviors, have some sort of toxic culture culture problem. Okay, so I want to ask you just to give us a really kind of high-level summary of the research and what it was intended to do. Mm, I love I love the what it was intended to do because I think, you know, for me that's the interesting thing. Again, uh, this was a an accidental journey for me. Uh, I m- some of my colleagues in the US, Jeff Pollard and others, wrote an excellent piece about fixing cybersecurity's self-inflicted skill shortage. And they talked about how by better by bettering our hiring practices, we could actually potentially work to solve the skill shortage. There are lots of lots and lots of things that we do, such as we write these um, ridiculous job descriptions for entry level positions, requiring the poor entry level person who we're going to pay. Uh, lemonade budget, this champagne wealth of experience. You need to have seven years, uh, 120 university degrees, and that's, you know, and we'll pay you nothing. Uh, The way that we write our job descriptions are not necessarily diverse or inclusive. They don't invite different candidates, a whole bunch of things. So awesome research. Uh, Then one of my colleagues, I heard through the grapevine, my amazing colleague Heidi Shea was going to write research on how do we retain cybersecurity talent and Heidi's strengths. She has so many strengths, but for this particular research specifically, her strengths are around developing skills for cybersecurity teams. And I'm like, Heidi, I just, you know, begged and pleaded, can I please be included? Because I want to talk about the cultural elements that relate to retention. Because my experience, my background, I've been a practitioner, I've been a security leader, and I knew from experience that actually we've got a busted culture. So you can hire as many people as you like. They're going to get into those security teams. They're going to experience this hideous toxicity and the way that we exclude people and the way that we can often be quite bullying towards one another, the way that security can be so confused within organisations, don't have budget, don't have support, uh, to a point where people within organisations, as you know, quite often mock security teams, security leaders, security people. And I'm like, no, I need to, I need to be, I would love to be part of this research. And I just wanted to write one bullet about this, what I've just described, just toxicity. 
So Heidi and I proceeded to interview all these amazing sizos and people and and I kept on trying to find the right question to ask about toxicity. Hey, you know, tell me, do you tell me uh, about toxicity within your teams? How do you deal with it? And because I think my questions were so perfunctory, I was getting quite perfunctory responses back. I just, you know, and I tried lots of different ways and you know, we, we wrote a bullet, we wrote my pa- bullet, like one paragraph about the topic. And I thought, Oof, I'm really, I'm not really touching this. I'm not feeling it. So I put a question up on LinkedIn, said, hey, I think this is a really big problem in our industry. And I really, I just want to know why it's a big problem. I want to start from the beginning. Tell me about the causes of toxicity. Mm-hmm. And I listed a few causes, Um, some of them, you know, I don't want to say I regret listing because they were very important uh, points, Mm -hmm. but they were not the full story because what then came back was hundreds of comments, hundreds of private messages, tens of thousands of views of that particular post. And I'm like, I've just touched a really raw nerve here and everyone's an expert. (laughs) <laughs> it it opened up and that's how it began. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. Amazing. And uh the the sort of the um you know the 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 10 findings that you've had, you know, you've you've come up with 10 causes, didn't you? Do you want to do you want to talk a little bit more about those just to dive in a bit deeper into what were the sort of main Yeah. And and you know what I would like to I would like to look at them, but I would like to zone in a little bit more on the ones that are a bit more personal, personal, you know, to the things that are within the control of the individuals to actually change and manage. Oh, you know, and that's and that's the interesting thing. I think this is such a fine line. I'm currently collaborating with a number of my colleagues on don't know exactly what the research is going to be called, but gender-related cultural issues within cybersecurity. We're doing a, a Q&A of frequently asked questions. And where the whole group of us has gotten really fed up is how much of this we actually put on individuals. Because ultimately, sure, lean in, everybody. Lean in, do your bits, speak out, don't speak out, try and change the culture, influence, do all the things. But I think at a certain point, we all need to be mindful that there is a systematic and social issue associated with toxicity that we we can't really control. So happy, happy to touch on both, but this is just something that has really evolved in my mind over the last year. And I'm so glad you, 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 you call that out. Um, I, I write about it in my book um, and I call it the toxic trio. And so Mm -hmm. I, I talk about the bully, the victim and the culture of the organization as the toxic trio. So I'm saying, you know, you cannot bully Someone cannot bully without having a victim or a target to bully and also a culture that actually allows the bullying to happen. So Mm. it's really at the end of the day, in my view, it's the moral and legal obligation of the organization of leaders and HR Mm -hmm. to actually eradicate toxic behaviors, toxic cultures. It's not the responsibility of the individual. 
But where the individual becomes important is in terms of how I show up every day, how I empower myself to be my best self every day. So there is this sort of duality here in terms of responsibility. You know, everybody has to take personal responsibility. Yes. But I think it's too easy today for organizations to still brush it under the carpet. That's why I call workplace bullying in particular. A silent epidemic because it is genuinely still brushed under the carpet, and anybody who speaks up um, are being kind of hang out to dry. Essentially, are the person who is the problem maker is labelled is yeah. you know the the retaliation sometimes is in, is incredible. So people don't speak up because they fear that retaliation, you know, or retribution, I should say. And I think that's the real issue here, isn't it? It's huge. You know, one of the, so as follow-on research, one of the things that I'm currently doing is I'm designing a survey on this very topic of toxicity in cybersecurity. So I want to I wanna start getting a bit juicy and get some numbers because I found that we we have so many anecdotes and not enough numbers. And look, we can, we can talk about this another time, but even writing the survey has been... Um, triggering for a lot of us who've collaborated internally and externally it's been it's revealed a whole a whole bunch for us but to your point um, a very quick LinkedIn about do you should you speak out about toxicity or not speak out and again there was a hundred plus comments so a reasonable sample size 65 percent of the people who wrote in were like do not even think about speaking out. Because the repercussions, I think some of the impacts that were stated were quite horrendous, you know, impacts on your career, impacts on your mental health, impact on everything, like just don't bother. And that's, I find that's huge. And to your point before of brushing under the carpet, it's totally silent epidemic and insecurity even more so, I think, because for for lots of different reasons, I think not a security data, but uh, there was a survey, an American survey, I think, uh, discussed in Forbes that showed 53% of employees say that their firm does not address toxicity issues. Wow. That's huge. Yeah, that's massive. And I'm kind of doubting that it's even that high, uh, that low. So so I was just going to say, yes, it is massive, but it's actually lower than I expected you to. Same here. Yeah, it's lower. Yeah. Yeah, um, which is quite sad in a way. Um, mm. So if we just for a moment, I know that you you want the data and you don't just want to sort of, you know, um, tell us, you know, what 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 are the sort of things because we, we want to back it up. And I love the fact that we want to back it up and we get the data, especially on this, because I think it's going to help the industry so much. And move I think so it. too. Yeah. But, but do you want to talk about the 10 causes? Yes. You want to talk about the causes? Yes. Yeah. If we could, because okay. I just I want to give yeah. people some real tangible because yeah. you have the you have the data for that, don't you? I do. I yeah, I have that, yeah. So, data derived from anecdotes. It's not as precise as I'd like it to be, but but good enough. Because my original list was honestly um I had ego, ego, and ego. And <laughs> ego was number two. It was the number two cause. So I wasn't um, you know, I wasn't necessarily off. And I think it's really important to acknowledge that. Ego, it, it really shouldn't be a dirty word. Uh, everybody has an ego, but I think where ego starts to become toxic is 
um, I think what what was described as people who've got an overinflated ego and an overinflated sense of self that makes them difficult to do with. And it's really interesting because ego is acknowledged, um, you know, it stems, as we know, like that bad ego, it stems from low self-esteem, fear, the imposter syndrome, the need to be right, regardless of the cause of it, when it it just really starts causing toxicity for others. So that's that's number two, and that's one that's very personal. And I want to talk about another one that's very personal, and that is uh, the hero complex. I actually, this came to me by so many different names. We had the Messiah complex, the rock stars, the bros, the invincibles, and the know-it-alls. And it generally refers to staff who believe they're misunderstood geniuses. We all know one, right? We all know them, I think. Um, They have a sense of privilege. They're very anti-management. They're untouchable. Um, not necessarily team players. Mm -hmm. And I think these are the ones, the brilliant jerk is what we've decided to call it in our blog. Um, It's really difficult, right? Because they are quite often brilliant, like the, the left side of their brain, the analytical, the technical, they probably are very brilliant. But it's when that brilliance starts to take over everything else that I think that that's just so difficult for everybody around them. And I think that one came in at number number six. But then all the others, the other eight, are for me what I'd classify as um, systematic or leadership related. Yes. And that's like that, that third part of your triangle. Um, lack of organizational support, number one. Mm-hmm. And it's the business's lack of support, understanding and commitment for security. It's something we've been talking about my whole entire career that we have not solved. Although if you believe every single um, SISO executive roundtable that I attend, we have solved it, but we haven't. We've not solved it. We may have solved it in some boards. We may have solved it with some senior executives. But basically what happens is when security is not funded, when it's not understood, when it's not given what it needs, it's very stressful. It's so stressful for the SISO and he or she will ultimately end up cascading that stress down to their teams. When we were designing the surveys, um, we started delving to the when teams start getting alienated by their peers within the organization. And I think many of us have been there as well. It's like, oh, we're not going to invite those security people. They're just, you know, they're just going to um, they're going to say no to us or they're not going to collaborate with us or why are they important? What an exhausting place to be. So I think for me, that's uh, that's number one. And I say it's leadership related. And when we talk about what, you know, if we start talking about solutions for a moment and what is within security's control, cyber influence then becomes paramount, prioritizing cyber influence. 
Absolutely. And I love that you sort of um, elegantly transitioned into solutions because I'm very conscious that we can talk about this topic all day. Mm. Um, but I really always try on these um, on these episodes to make it really practical for people and tangible for people to sort of take away. Um, when you talked about the sort of the stress factor and, and, and you know, the burnout factor, mm. something that's really close to my heart because I was there not too long ago where I got to the point where I just completely complete burnout and where, you know, the sort of daily anxiety attacks was my body begging me to stop, but I was so headstrong. And so in this kind of mode of, I have to do it, I have to deliver, I have to prove myself. And so I kind of know what it feels like in that world and that cybersecurity world where you are a senior leader and you want, you have to keep going for your team's sake for, you know, just to keep your head above the water. And it's, 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 a, it's an awful place to be. And therefore, it doesn't surprise me that the average uh, CISO, so Chief Information Security Officer tenure, and I stand to be corrected on this, but it's definitely less or sort of 26 months on average. It depends. It depends on the geography. In North America, my colleague, uh, Jeff Pollard, when he did his analysis of the Fortune 500, it was actually, I think it was five plus years, but it, okay. it depends. I know That's for us in Australia, it would be lower than 26 months. Okay. Because so it, I think it's, it depends. Okay. That's interesting because based on my practical, in you know, in direct experience in, in, in the UK, it's same here. Shorter than the 20, 26 months. Um Wow. Okay. So solutions, let's talk solutions. Um, before we talk, um, and I ask you some sort of um, more detail on that. Um, when you were talking, um, there's a really, really great book by one of my friends, Christian Espinosa, that was published earlier this year. It's called The Smartest Person in the Room. And I don't think I have the copy here with me. Think it's in the house but yeah it's it's a fantastic book and 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 it's really really specifically um written for cybersecurity functions and how to actually tackle that whole influence piece that you've just said you know how do we really hone in the communication side and how do we really become those influences in the business who become those value keep key people of influence who can really help move the business forwards and help the business make better decisions um, and and essentially add and contribute to the success of the organization. Because let's face it, that's what cybersecurity is today. It is absolutely integral to the, the success and the resilience of an organization. Yeah. And look, I know we want to jump into solutions, but and every, it's so interesting. Every time I have this conversation, there's so much um, want to dive into solutions. And I given that you've acknowledged it is a, a silent epidemic, and I think so too, I think we still have a long way in terms of fleshing out the problem, actually. I will dive into solution, I promise. But one thing I want to say to your point, um, we often, when we have this conversation, we talk about the mental health impact, we talk about the impact on our careers, you know, all these super important things. But one thing that I don't hear us talking about is the impact of toxicity on security posture and innovation uh, because ultimately what happens when everybody is so busy like you said when you're a security leader trying to keep your head above water and trying to survive and like are you innovating are you 
automating? Are you being proactive? Are you building a great brand for security teams? Are you able to identify your breaches? Are you getting the budget that you want? No, 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 no. None of these things are happening. So ultimately, the ultimate impact on all of this is the cybersecurity posture on organizations. And if we go one step higher, that has got significant impacts now on all of society. I'll stop with problems. And and you know what? I love that because I'm always the one picking everybody else up, say, oh, you jump to solution mode. You don't even understand the problem yet. And so thank you for picking me up today. <laughs> I do think that's important. And I mean, maybe the solution is, as you say, to start by uh, really, really understanding the problem and then yeah. to, 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 to our sort of passion, which is the, the whole people-centric approach, which is then about when you devise your strategy, where do people actually feature in that strategy? You know, where do we talk about our culture um, and, and what culture we want to create? What does good look like? Where do we talk about the talent agenda and, you know, all the amazing things we want to do around attracting the best talent, retaining the best talent that will help us innovate? So, yeah, I love, I absolutely love that. So start by really clearly understanding and defining the problem. Naming it. You know, I'm no Brene Brown, obviously, everybody. <laughs> I think we've established that at this point <laughs> of the podcast. But, you know, one of the things Brene does say is that the the very best way to solve a problem is to name it. And I feel like that's what my last 12 months has been about. I know that that's what your journey has also been about. I I don't I don't think we can um, sneeze at the importance of that. One of the things that we're doing in Australia, so going to um, going to Solution Mode, one of the things that came out. I spoke at an event here, International Women's Day, run by ASACA and Australian Women of Security Network, and it had not my talk, obviously, but the topic had such a significant impact on the listeners. And we, we were supposed to have a panel afterwards and that didn't go ahead because of technological issues. Um, it had such a significant impact, whatever small part of the panel that we did, that we decided that, A, we needed to do a rerun of the panel and the presentation, but also to create a um, working group, a national working group within the country. I think we're calling out Cybersecurity Alliance or Cybersecurity Shift or something. I'm sorry, everybody, I can't remember. I'm supposed to be like an ambassador for this. But uh, we are coming together. It's going to be the Australian Signals Directorate, ISACA, um, Australian Information Security Association, ISC Squared. All these amazing uh, bodies are coming together to determine how we can together as a nation solve this problem. And it, that's it, huge. It's massive. That is absolutely fantastic. That is such a huge win. And um, well done on that. And moving that forward. Yeah, not not my idea. It was others, um, but and it was on the back of naming an issue. A wonderful, and and that's what happens when we are honest and we hold the mirror up and we you know we own our whole story um I think it's so so powerful Janan thank you so much we are out of time as always this happens so quickly um 
I want people to be able to find you if they want to reach out, maybe provide you with some input to your amazing research that you've just embarked on. I'm so excited about that research and just really continue to tackle this issue, right? So how can people how can people get in touch? What's the best way? The best way is if you follow me on LinkedIn and um, it's Jinan Budge on my LinkedIn or on Twitter as well. And I'm always, always happy to receive messages uh, about this topic. And I often will have questions and discussions uh, with the community. So feel free to be involved as well. Thank you. I always feel wonderful after I've had a conversation with you, not just because it's so like inspiring and it makes me really think outside the box, but also just because of your wonderful presence and your wonderful energy. And just, oh, thank you. You too. Yeah, lovely to oh, you, <laughs> thank you. That was so much fun. I do feel guilty we didn't get to any solution mode, but that's okay. Next time, next time. I think it's absolutely fine. It's, it's, I, I think we do actually have the best way forwards, which is really to clearly articulate the problem i.e. naming the problem. I think that is the best, best, best solution we can give anybody today. Um, And it doesn't just apply to the organizational culture. It applies to you as an individual, you as a person. Absolutely. Absolutely. And deciding whether you want to speak out or not also. You know, if I do, if I can close with this, uh, I am going to be writing research also about speaking out. Is it career smart or is it career suicide? Um, one piece of tangible advice, there's lots of considerations here. I would love to say uh, we all need to move that number from 65% of people choosing not to speak out. But at the same time, be kind to yourself, be kind to others. We we don't all have to follow the same path. So I think my research is going to help identify, well, what are the considerations that you can uh, think about before you make that decision? And it's again, that is such an important um, point. I mean, if I if I take my my whole premise of my business roar, it is really to encourage people to to speak up, but it's not to speak up by endangering yourself. Yes, you you have to be in a mentally and physically in a state in a space Mm -hmm. where you are comfortable um, to be vulnerable and to speak your truth to roar in effect. Um, so it, it's it's absolutely important. That's such a critical, critical, critical point. It's not just blindly speaking out. It is really about choosing your moments. And again, coming back to the culture and the in the environment, mm-hmm. why would people speak up if they're afraid? If they they don't have that psychological safety. Um, and so I'm really, really excited about your research and I'm very, very happy to contribute myself. Um, so do pick my brain. I'm, I know you will. <laughs> I will, cool. without a doubt. Amazing, amazing. Well, everybody, thank you so much for watch- watching. Thank you so much for listening. Um, you know where to find me, um, Marilise de Villiers, uh, Roar Coaching and Consulting, founder and CEO. Uh, go to my website, www.marilise-de-villiers.com to find out more about what we do and what we're passionate about. Until next time. Bye, Janan. Thank you. Bye, everybody. Join us again next time for more essential insights and practical tips on the Bullyproof podcast. 
we'd love to hear your comments on today's show, as well as suggestions for future topics and guests. Get in touch with Marilise on social media or via her website, www.marilise-de-billiers.com. Don't forget to review and rate this show on iTunes. Thanks for listening.